Hello, and welcome to the Transportation Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Kingma. For the United States and the rest of the world at large, the electric self-driving car means much more than just being able to watch a movie on your commute to work. Joining us today is Dr. Kara Kockelman, professor at UT, to discuss the mass implementation of shared autonomous electric vehicles, the future of car ownership and gas stations, as well as how professional transportation will change over time. How are you, Kara? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. I'm wonderful. So I wanted to start this interview asking, right now, what is the current state of the electric self-driving car? The electric self-driving car? Well, I know that Waymo, which belongs to Google and Alphabet, basically is using plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. These are Chrysler Pacifica minivans, I believe, in the Arizona area, so Phoenix primarily and Tempe. and I guess uh, Tesla, of course, isn't all electric, so that's a battery electric vehicle, and they have sort of like a level three self-driving, so that's really not self-driving. It's just lane keeping and kind of adaptive cruise control, so very smart technologies, but not fully self-driving. So I think Waymo's in the lead there, but it's still a long way to go. And about how far are we out from the mass usage or implementation of this kind of technology? Well, there's self driving and there's electric so electric's definitely here has been here operating great for a while we're seeing longer ranges on those vehicles and faster charging stations which is very helpful but self-driving is much more difficult and so that is a long way off before for example you or i could find one to purchase privately in the showroom so we're going to probably see a lot of fleets being managed so that the sensors can be checked regularly and these will be in bigger cities or special test locations like the rolling out in Arizona for example as a first big test case for the Waymo. Now will road infrastructures have to be changed in order to accommodate these kinds of autonomous shared electric vehicles? No no the manufacturers know very well that that would take a long long time and vehicles travel long distances so just because one state or one city does something that's going to take decades for the others to follow. So there's going to be no need to change anything on the infrastructure side. So what are some of the challenges then outside of that, of getting these self-driving cars on, onto the roads? Well, the big challenge, I guess, is the technology. Of course, there's also policy and making sure that cybersecurity is, is very strong. You know, we're constantly being surprised by ways to get around technology. Uh, so we've been having really good experience thus far with these technologies, but um, we want them to harden. We want them to get even more reliable and strong, and that's going to take a little while. So could you elaborate further on, on specifically the cybersecurity? Are we worried about people sort of hacking into these cars and, and, and changing their destination? Sure. And not just a destination. That wouldn't be so interesting, I suppose, but really having them speed up or ignore conflicts and, and crashing into things. And that is, you know, something very technical outside my expertise. But if you can, you know, fake your coordinates, for example. So spoofing has been a common issue with some of the GPS technology. So you need a lot of redundancy on the vehicle to be checking and triple checking that the coordinates are correct. And so you've got a, a series of different sensors and technologies that are being mixed together to check one another on board. And, and remotely, if, if necessary. 
Now, will the bigger transportation vehicles like buses and like 18 wheelers, are they still going to be operated by humans? Well, they'll have operators inside them, but they won't necessarily be operated except for very complex situations where they call maybe on the operator. So deliveries and pickups, for example, it's very useful to have a vehicle there. And if anything were to happen en route that was unexpected, very useful to have a human there. But there's other things that they can do en route that are far more interesting. Or in the case of, for example, buses, especially minibuses, you can have roving operators that get on and off to check in with customers that are on board, check on the condition of the vehicle. You can also have eyes remotely that are looking at video cameras to see what's happening on board and make sure that those vehicles are in good shape, everybody's safe, and if there's a strange incident up ahead that there's somebody else helping the vehicle make the final decision. How will self-driving electric cars affect car ownership down the line once they get sent out in mass? Well, we hope car ownership will fall. So we hope that people will be buying trips as they need them and ideally sharing rides with others. And this allows for a more efficient fleet and a much more efficiently used fleet. Although there will be empty driving from me to you, for example, if I let go of the vehicle, my trip has ended and now you're asking for a vehicle, that vehicle has to travel somewhat empty. And so trying to coordinate pickups and drop-offs can be very helpful in reducing those empty miles. But I think that would allow my household certainly to let go of at least one vehicle. And once we feel comfortable that service times are very reliable, even in strange incidents like bad weather, we're still being served because there's a lot of seats on these vehicles right now that are empty. And of course, your vehicle and my vehicle are sitting still about 23 hours a day, every day. Now, from my knowledge, self-driving vehicles will be significantly cheaper than the current price we pay for things like taxi and Uber. Do you think that's going to be enough for most people to say, hey, I don't need a car and I'm just going to rent whenever I need to go somewhere? Right. Cars demand a lot of attention. I mean, they demand registration and insurance and emissions testing and lubrication and new tires. And so to be able to get rid of some of those headaches at about the same price that you and I currently pay to own and operate our vehicles would be wonderful. And that's what our testing suggests, that these vehicles really can come down to about 50 cents per revenue mile. So that means when somebody's inside there and there's a passenger in there paying for that trip, and so all the costs are associated with those passenger trips, then you've got that vehicle at 50 cents a mile which is less than what most people pay right now to own and operate, especially newer vehicles, because there's a lot of depreciation on a newer vehicle. So vehicles right now cost about 60 cents per travel mile. And of course, if you were to call on an Uber or a Lyft, even if it's one of the express or Lyft line type trips, you're paying you know, close to $2 a mile. Now, you mentioned a bit earlier about ghost vehicles that contain no passengers. Could you expand a bit on the issues that come with this? Well, we have a lot of congestion in our cities right now. And of course, vehicles uh, have lots of nuisance issues associated with them. They make noise, they crash. Even if these are really, really smart self-driving vehicles and they bring crash rates down 90%, we're predicting 80% reduction, but let's say they bring it down 90%, uh, there's still some serious concerns there because uh, crashes are a big loss for the, this nation and every nation. 
Um, but the, another issue, of course, is emissions and climate change with the energy being used. So we're, we're probably not going to get to 100% renewables in our power grid for a long time. So even if it's electric, there are still some emissions. Will gas stations transform themselves into electricity stations? That would be fantastic. Yeah, so it's a pretty different technology, a lot simpler in many regards, but you, one of the big issues is looking at the power lines nearby and the power draw on those lines. So if you're in a downtown with a lot of uh, big businesses and industries, you can get a lot of power quickly from that grid, but in more remote locations where you might have existing gas stations, you're probably gonna need big batteries on site to help deliver a, a fast charge to those vehicles. and even then, it's still probably a 30-minute wait to get, you know, 200 miles worth of range on that vehicle. And so that you're going to want to grab a coffee or something while you're doing that. And do you think people are going to be okay waiting 30 minutes to an hour to charge their vehicle when right now it takes only about three to four minutes to fill up a tank of gas? Well, given the kind of climate change that we're already seeing and the loss that we're seeing of our friends and relatives in Florida and uh, Puerto Rico and, and now Hawaii even being threatened because of the heating of the oceans and the acidification from that excess carbon dioxide, then my goodness, I sure hope we all can wait a half an hour and do something on our cell phones or you know chat with somebody on our computers, whatever it is, to get those things charged electrically because that really does offer the only opportunity to bring down greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector in a big way. Are most Americans going to actually own these kinds of self-driving vehicles, or is it mostly going to be through services like Uber and Lyft that we actually get rides from them? I think most, especially at the beginning, are going to be rentals because the sensor checking and the contracting of where those vehicles are allowed to operate and how they're allowed to be operated is pretty complex. And the manufacturers don't want to trust you and me to keep up with that. They want to have professionals on board that know what they're doing to make sure that those sensors are functioning properly, the algorithms are being tested, any updates to the software are being made immediately. Uh, there is remote backup. So if you and I are in a business meeting and our car is out there, it's much better if there's a, a proper fleet manager for that. So that's going to be the big opportunity first. And long term, once the technology is proven super reliable, Yes, they will be selling a lot to private owners who will be able to afford them once the price comes down. But, you know, again, it's not a great use of that technology. It would be nicer if we could reduce kind of our parking demand. There's a lot of land uh, caught up in parking and vehicle storage because, as I said before, those vehicles are mostly sitting still if they're privately owned. In about five to ten years, are people who own gas-powered vehicles going to have serious problems trying to sell their cars? Well, at some point, I do think that human driving is going to be disallowed, just like horse and buggy was not permitted at a certain stage on public roadways. So you're going to need to go to a racetrack, much like horses went out to special trails, or you're going to have to have special times of the week where we allow uh, traditional vehicles. Um, and, and that's true primarily in, First, I think in the downtowns and then maybe on the freeways, uh, just to try to reduce crashes and keep traffic moving smoothly, they're going to want a computer behind the wheel or rather than a human. So that, that will definitely come. And I have one more question for you, and it's do you think most people are going to adopt to this new form of transportation relatively quickly, or do you think it's going to take quite a bit of time before that change happens? 
Well, vehicles that we own today last a long time. So 16 years is the typical scrappage age of a U.S. vehicle. So we, you know, may be thrilled to have this opportunity, but there's going to be a lot of these vehicles in circulation. And we may have to send them from this country anyhow, south of the border to find buyers for some of those older vehicles. And I think we see that even now. People really like having a wireless feature inside their vehicle for phone conversations. And uh, so, you know, technology really makes these vehicles turn over a little bit faster, but not so fast that you can really flip the fleet, you know, in less than 20 years. It really does take a while. And of course, some people will feel much more comfortable being in control, just like when you fly, you're not in control. So, you're really at the mercy in this case of the algorithms and the sensors and until you you really feel that's much more reliable than you as a human as some people are going to want to keep their hands on the wheel and and also keep their skills up if you move to a place where you know there aren't a lot of self-driving vehicles or you have to borrow a friend's vehicle it's important to still be able to drive for a while Thank you for coming on, Cara, and thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com industries and subscribe for previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Sam Kingma, and you have a fantastic rest of your day.